people around the country took to the streets to protest the lack of charges for the officers that killed Breonna Taylor. Former contestants on RuPaul's Drag Race would love it if the fans could maybe be a bit less racist. And we're talking with Tara Palmieri, the host of the podcast Broken Seeking Justice. The date, September 24th, 2020. The time, news o'clock. Hey everyone, I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to BuzzFeed's News O'Clock. Before we dive in, Casey, I just want to remind you and our listeners that it is flu shot time. Like if you are listening to this and haven't gotten your flu shot yet, please do so. Yes, I'm getting mine on Monday. I'm getting mine in the near future because I'm a hypocrite and haven't done so yet, but I'm going to... (laughs) Okay, get your flu shot, Hayes. I will, because especially because I will go back to the same writing I did last year because um, I I will never forget going into that place to get a flu shot last year. And ahead of me was a nun who was arguing with the pharmacist about vaccines. Oh, my God. I know. Full wimpled nun. And so... When she stood off to the side, I went up to the farm. She's like, hi, I would like a flu shot, please. (laughs) The last time I went to get a flu shot was at Walgreens and the pharmacist said, oh, you're a bleeder. And I was like, um, okay." That is the creepiest thing. No, I don't (laughs) like that at all. Okay, it's time for today's top stories. Here's what you need to know. First up, people are reeling after the announcement yesterday that no officers involved in the killing of Breonna Taylor will be charged with her death. And as expected, new protests have sprung up around the country in response. Reminder, the only charge announced by the Kentucky Attorney General was against former officer Brett Hankison, who was fired by the police department in Louisville. That charge, wanton endangerment, was only related to his firing his gun after the forced entry into the apartment that Taylor shared with her boyfriend. Apparently, though, a lawyer for Taylor's family had to be the one to tell them that this meant that nobody would be facing consequences for Taylor's death. The reaction was instant. New York Times reporter John Elegon was on the scene during the announcement and tweeted, quote, The sobs. That's what's sticking with me here in Louisville as I see the reaction to the Breonna Taylor announcement. I've covered a lot of these, but I don't remember ever seeing this much hurt, this much crying from protesters. That was true online, too, where people poured out expressions of rage and exhaustion. As the popular account at Yes, You're Racist tweeted, quote, a literal wall got more justice than Breonna Taylor. And as predicted, protests materialized in major cities around the country, including D.C., L.A., and New York last night. At one point, nearly 10,000 protesters were on the Manhattan Bridge marching for Taylor. In Louisville itself, the hundreds of protesters there gathered peacefully despite a heavy police presence. At one point early in the evening, though, two police officers were shot while responding to reports of gunfire near one of the protests. Both are being treated for non-life-threatening injuries. But local police said that they arrested about 100 people for refusing to disperse after the curfew Louisville's mayor set, leading folks to point out that that's about 100 times more people than were arrested for Taylor's actual death. Okay, this next beat is alarming, so I want to make sure that I phrase this right. Uh, There's a growing concern about what happens if Trump doesn't concede the election if he loses to former Vice President Biden in about 40 days, or worse, that there's no clear winner right away. 
So big caveat here. This isn't exactly new, given what we know about Trump. In 2016, he wouldn't say whether he would accept a loss to Hillary Clinton after complaining that the election was rigged against him. And he's continued to say that this election will also be rigged in favor of Biden, having gone on a months-long tirade against mail-in voting. But yesterday, he added a lot of fuel to that fire. To making sure that there is a peaceful transfer of power after the election. Well, we're going to have to see what happens. You know that I've been complaining very strongly about the ballots, and the ballots are a disaster. I and, understand that, but and, people are rioting. Do you commit oh, to making sure that there's a no, peaceful wanna, transfer of power? We want to have get rid of the ballots, and you'll have a very trans. We'll have a very peaceful. There won't be a transfer, frankly. There'll be a continuation. Uh, the ballots are out of control. You know it. All right, so we can assume what he meant was uh, Democrats have been pushing mail-in ballots, and if they count those, then I'll probably lose. So if we don't count those, then I'll win. But that's still bad. The Atlantic's Barton Gelman published a piece this week laying out what it might look like if we don't have a decisive winner on election night this year. And all signs point to that being the case with more mail-in ballots being requested and sent back in by voters than ever. So the scary part is what happens in those weeks between the election and Inauguration Day when new votes are being counted. Thanks to a number of factors, it's looking like a lot of those votes will be from Democrats, while Trump is encouraging people to vote on Election Day despite the pandemic. So what happens if the president just says he won and that the counting should stop? It's a scary proposition and one that I recommend people read into because, honestly, there's no real clear answer about what comes next. No, there really isn't. And actually, the thing that uh, drove this home for me was Mark Ruffalo, a.k.a. the Hulk, who um, tweeted at Chuck Schumer yesterday. Chuck Schumer had said to President Trump on Twitter, you are not a dictator and America will not permit you to be one. And then Mark Ruffalo tweeted, "Okay, so what's the plan? The man has told us he won't leave peacefully. He's stacking the court with justices he knows will rule in his favor. And he's talking about tossing ballots. What is the plan? And it's like, that's the thing. What is the plan? Someone tell us ah question mark i mean a bunch of experts like sat down like real experts on national security election law etc sat down and tried to game out what it will look like if there's no clear winner on election night and yet there is not going to be there's I, we're all used to being like oh election night this date for this person this date for this person and this is the new president hooray but that's probably not going to be the decisive case this year and all of these experts, uh, through the many scenarios they ran, couldn't come to an answer. It always just seemed to kind of break down as especially the president and his supporters tried to push the lever as hard as they could to make it so that, no, no, all of the attempts to say that these votes are valid, they're not. And, you know, mass street protests, it's going to be a weird period of time. So... Mm. Yikes. Yeah, big yikes on that one. I That's all I can say at this point. I, I really recommend people read this piece and read up on what this is going to look like in 40 days. We're 40 days out, Casey. Back to my dark corner I go. Indeed. Uh, so, Casey, <laughs> what's got your attention in the pop culture world today? Give us some distraction, please. Okay. Uh, first up, former contestants of RuPaul's Drag Race are calling out the blatant racism that they're seeing too much of in the hit show's fan base. Latrice Royale, The Vixen, and Heidi Ann Closet were among the six drag queens that appeared in a PSA that went up online earlier this week. In it, they reintroduced themselves as their out-of-drag selves, describing their experiences and asking the fan base to take a look at themselves in the mirror. Because as much as I love Drag Race, as 
most of y'all do. Behind the makeup. Underneath the eleganza. is a human being just like you. We need to collectively stop the threats, stop the racism that is affecting this community. So make a pledge to be better and treat us like the human beings that we are. As popular as the show has become in its 14 seasons, it's been known for ages that even though the host is Black, there are some issues with race and body type, both on the show and among the fans. As the queens in this new PSA say, that's gone as far as being harassed by strangers online for doing better than white queens and even getting death threats. This video was released on the official Drag Race YouTube channel and organized through the Trevor Project, which is focused on suicide prevention among LGBTQ kids. But earlier this year, another former contestant, Honey Davenport, organized her own video of Drag Race alumni calling out a lot of these same things on Instagram. And season 11 contestant Kahana Montrese really summed up the vibe online when she said, quote, it's very evident within the fandom that there's this hierarchy of queens. And of course, Caucasians are at the top of that list. Fact. Sad fact. It just is true. It's true. You can. I only started watching probably like five or six seasons ago, and it was apparent from then. It's just you could see the queens that become fan favorites, the queens that like make it to the top, like the top three. Like it's just there's and there's also I'd like to say a lot of disparity when it comes to income and wealth. And you can see that a lot of like the white drag queens might have the money and support to have better costumes than the black queens. Absolutely. Like uh, Chichi Devane, may she rest in peace, was a prime example of this. You know, she came in from a lower socioeconomic class and she just didn't have the money to compete with people who were bringing in like tens of thousands of dollars worth of clothes. And but she still rose up and did her best. I really appreciate them trying to make it so that this is something that the fan base is talking about more and really having to accept. Will it make a difference? I don't know. Probably not, unfortunately, because a lot of these people are trash. If you're listening and you think, I am not trash. Good for you. You're not. But a lot of people in the Drag Race fandom are. So fix yourselves. And moving on, Riverdale star KJ Appa described the new onset procedures for scenes involving kissing. And fans have questions. <laughs> Appa plays Archie Andrews on The CW Show. And yesterday he shared on Instagram that as part of the set's, quote, new normal to keep filming during a pandemic, the actors have to mm, get this use mouthwash <sighs> in the video he posted he and co-star camilla mendez clink little plastic cups handed to them by a production assistant wearing gloves they then swish mouthwash for about 30 seconds as a voice off screen tells them how long they have left before spitting it out in a plastic sandwich bag now that all raises several questions among them why were you not using mouthwash before and very much more importantly how on earth does this help keep you from getting COVID-19 what doctor told them <laughs> all right guys you're good you can film just make sure you use some scope before you make out that way the COVID is too distracted by your minty freshness to make the swap someone was like well if we use hand sanitizer for our hands then let's that's use mouthwash for our mouth. 
Genius. That's right up there with Inject the Bleach. That is like the same level of like scientific thinking, I think. If this, then it's like a bad AI came up with this like coronavirus prevention measure. I, I got to say, though, this is this is still a step up from I saw a tweet that went viral, I think, last month of uh, one or another of the long running soap. I think it might have been Days of Our Lives. It was someone recording the episode and in it. You could clearly see that this actor was making out with a mannequin. Wait, so like instead of two actors making out, they pretended one of the actors mm-hmm. was a mannequin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. So you see, like this terrible him running his hand through this terrible wig <laughs> on the back of this a mannequin's head. It's like that is not a real person. You are not kissing a real person. TV is cursed. <laughs> TV is so cursed, but good for them for finding a way. All right. When we come back, we've got Tara Palmieri, host of the new season of the podcast Broken with us. Stay right there. At SheFit, we're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. Conquer your New Year's resolution to be more productive with the Before Breakfast podcast. In each bite-sized daily episode, time management and productivity expert Laura Vanderkam teaches you how to make the most of your time, both at work and at home. These are the practical suggestions you need to get more done with your day. Just as lifting weights keeps our bodies strong as we age, learning new skills is the mental equivalent of pumping iron. Listen to Before Breakfast wherever you get your podcasts. Being a real estate agent isn't about listing houses. It's about connecting to people. I need to find new buyers every day. So I promote my listings using radio commercials from iHeartAdBuilder.com. Now every time I have an open house, it's a full house. A custom radio ad from iHeartAdBuilder is the fast, affordable way to drive customers to your business. Put the power of radio to work for you. Get started now at iHeartAdBuilder.com. The Jeffrey Epstein abuse scandal was one that blew up for a lot of different reasons. The way that with enough money, anyone could be rehabilitated. Epstein's connections with the rich and powerful and his apparent suicide in prison after he was finally arrested and charged last year. But whose stories get left out when we're talking about the spectacle? We're joined today by Tara Palmieri, the host of season two of the podcast Broken. Good afternoon. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. So you spent years as a reporter covering the White House for ABC and Politico after starting out in New York media. You even spent some time writing for Page Six. What made you want to leave that and spend 10 months making this jump to podcasting? Well, I really, at my core, have always been an investigative reporter. And I just think that the future of investigative journalism is in podcasting. Uh, You really get the time to dig in. You get to show the listeners your investigative journey, take them along, build characters, help them understand like, this is what, how journalism works. And this is how we come to these conclusions. And sometimes you don't always have to have the answers, but it's the process often that can be the most revealing. So I felt like this was a, a really good jump for me as an investigative reporter. 
Now, season one of the podcast, Broken Jeffrey Epstein, was hosted by Ariel Levy of The New York Times, and it focused on the backstory of the Epstein scandal and gave listeners an introduction to how he managed to get away with his abuses for so many years. Now, you're hosting Broken Seeking Justice. Just judging by the title change, it sounds like you're going to be shifting the focus this season. Yes, it's a different feel. It's a little bit more of a narrative than a day-to-day kind of news show on Jeffrey Epstein because so much was breaking at the time when they did broken uh, Jeffrey Epstein that it was sort of, you know, keeping up with the constant flow of news. This is different. We've been working on this for 10 months. It's a journey with the survivors of Jeffrey Epstein as they seek justice. I mean, I went on the road with Virginia Roberts Dupre. You probably know her because um, she says that she was abused by Prince Andrew, Alan Dershowitz, and a variety of people. And, you know, the thing that I found so fascinating about her is that, like, She's out there on her own, you know, beating the drum, telling people that she's not a liar, that this really happened. And yet it just feels like it's her word against theirs. So we went on the road. We started in L.A. and we went to the house of her, the chef of Jeffrey Epstein for many years. His name is Adam Perry Lang. And it wasn't that hard to find him because he's a celebrity chef with many restaurants. His best friend is Jimmy Kimmel, who invested in his restaurant. Um, And, you know, Virginia said that he was in a position to see everything while he was there and that he would be a really, really strong, um, you know, witness for all of the cases that she's involved in right now. She's got a defamation case against Alan Dershowitz. She's embroiled in a lot of different things. And frankly, like this is what the public needs is someone with a firsthand account. That's not a victim saying what happened. And so Virginia and I, we tried to get him to speak to us. She wrote him a letter back in 2015 And she asked him to please testify or at least do an affidavit or something like that. And he just ignored her. But she figured that now that Epstein's dead, he might not be scared anymore being sued or or who knows what. So she wanted to give it another try. And so that's what we did. And we also went to the house of the pilot, Larry Vysosky, who, by the way, a week after our show dropped, he ends up being subpoenaed because she said that he had the flight logs. Like we've only seen a quarter of the flight logs from Jeffrey Epstein's Lolita Express. And the truth is, is that it really helps the victims because it can place them with certain people on his flight. I mean, they're treasure, they're gold, and he's never handed them over. The other the other uh, pilot did, but he hasn't. And we, we went to his house and he hung up on Virginia. Um, it was really heartbreaking, honestly. Um, and then, but now he's being subpoenaed, so, you know, who knows? <laughs> and then the next episode, which just dropped, we actually get, invited into someone's house who was very much, who, who saw basically everything in the, uh, almost everything, I think, in the uh, Epstein world. He was the butler for 10 years, houseman, drove the girls around. Um, his name is Juan Alessi. He had never spoken to the press at that point. And he decided to sit down with us in his house. And Virginia and he had a sort of reunion, but it's a very complicated story but yeah, that doesn't happen ever. Um, so it was super crazy, especially since he had not spoken to the press for ever. And he obviously was in a position to know. I mean, he was in that Palm Beach house when all those uh, teenage girls were coming in and out. You mentioned a few people who've been called Epstein's enablers. How much of this season will be focused on Ghislaine Maxwell versus other people in his orbit? Well, it's funny. Like We do have our next episode coming up as a bonus episode. It's on Ghislaine Maxwell. And, um, you know, she's... So many of the survivors talk about Glenn Maxwell. There's no doubt about it. But we thought, you know what? There are so many other people that you don't even know about who are so involved and could help in the, the victims right now. 
I'm not saying that they were necessarily part of the conspiracy, but like they were really valuable witnesses that could help with them as they seek justice. And yes, Ghislaine is a part of every episode. I mean, it's, she's the, you know, Bonnie to his Clyde there, you know, there's no way that you can't talk about Ghislaine, but the next episode that's coming up, it's a bonus episode. It's all about Ghislaine. Um, but you know, we really try to take apart all the different enablers, everyone from the justice department, which you'll see, which is, it's actually quite frightening when you actually listen to the next few episodes. It's really more of like a narrative journey. Like you, you follow, it's not just Virginia. We, we, we also work with other um, survivors as well. And then, you know, in the finale, we actually end up finding an adult recruiter who brought someone in and had never, had also never been, you know, spoken to the press, never even spoken to authorities. And we met her in like a basically wasteland um, <laughs> warehouse area. And she spoke to us and it was really a startling, crazy interview. Um, other crazy thing is when we went to Juan Alessi's house, the FBI showed up before we got there. I was with Virginia and then calls while we're there. And he hadn't heard from them in a year. There's been a tendency lately to sort of use Epstein as a weapon these days, using pictures of him with Trump or Clinton as sort of a proxy for saying it's the other guy who's the bad one here. Uh, What do you make of that battle? Is one side of the political spectrum more responsible here for these abuses than the other? No. And it's just so crazy. I'm like, guys, this isn't like a Bill Clinton, Donald Trump, you know, both sides of the aisle story. Like that is the reason why it's been, it's been, you know, he got away with it. And it's been hidden for so long is that both sides of the aisle had zero interest in digging it up and exposing it because they both were vulnerable. I mean, I remember a source told me that when Acosta, uh, who's a labor secretary, the former labor secretary, who was also, he was the U S attorney at the time, uh, that gave Epstein that sweetheart deal in Florida, in which he only spent 13 months in prison and six days a week on work leave for, you know, molesting who knows how many girls. I had spoken to some people who were preparing him for his confirmation hearings, and they weren't worried about Epstein coming up because they were like, well, the Democrats aren't going to mention it because Bill Clinton is going to be, um, you know, looks bad. And then Republicans aren't really going to mention it either because Trump is close with them as well. So it was kind of like he got a pass. And it just seems like finally Julie Brown, who's our executive producer, nailed it, nailed Acosta to the story. And suddenly the world is like, oh, wow. So after working on the show, safe to say you have a pretty personal relationship with several of the survivors. Uh, What do you think the rest of the media at large is still getting wrong when telling their stories? Well, here's the one thing. I made this clear when we, from the outset, and everyone on my team felt the same way. I didn't want to actually recount the abuse that they suffered under Jeffrey Epstein. They're pornographic details. They're not necessary for telling the story. And I frankly just, I don't want to have people who, who want to hear that listening to my show. Like the people that I want to listen to the show are people who are interested in justice and doing the right thing. And, and really just like answering serious moral questions that we have day to day. And what does Jeffrey Epstein represent about our society? You know what I'm saying? Like he is the worst poison in our society, but he exists. And there's so many of them out there. And there's so many people that helped him and created them. And they're just living their lives. Some, most of them are hiding now, which they should be. Um, but you know, I'm really over, uh, kind of like idolizing him for his wealth and his mystery and his money. It seems clear that he got his money through illegal ways and we need to get to the bottom of that for sure. But like to kind of like, you know, talk about his Island and his pilots and his jets and his, yeah, you know, it's just kind of like, okay, enough. Like you're making him sound like freaking James Bond, like enough. And what about the victims? Like these women are so strong. Like they put their faces out there for the world. No, like no screen 
changing their voices or their faces. And they've been doing this for a long time and no one was paying attention. Last question, jumping off of that, the nonprofit Rain estimates that one in nine girls under the age of 18 in the U.S. suffer abuse or assault at the hands of an adult. Do you think telling stories like this one, which is so big and dramatic and involves a billionaire and celebrities, does anything to help bring awareness to the more everyday abuses? I hope so. I mean, I hope that the thing about being a a teenager is that, you know, it's so confusing and you're supposed to listen to adults, right? Like that's what we we're told throughout our entire lives. And then someone goes along and, you know, exploits that. Um, and it's just a really confusing time, um, in so many ways. And I hope that these stories show you that the guy who shows up in the Ferrari, you don't get in the car with him. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're just taught in society to idealize wealth and, and power. And frankly, like as kids, we're told to listen to adults. But how do you know who a good adult is? And, you know, you throw in the whole thing about being a teenager, which is just confusing in general. I mean, God, it's a really scary mix and it can happen anywhere. It's like this line divides Palm Beach where Epstein lives and West Palm Beach and outside of there. And like these girls were living in, you know, poverty and it's just like so easy to take advantage of these kids. And those conditions are the same. They haven't changed. Well, Tara, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, when do new episodes of Broken drop? They come out every Wednesday. We just had two have come out. So binge them. They're totally bingeable. And then next week we have a bonus episode that comes out. Right. All right. Well, Tara, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. All right. We have time for one more thing. Yesterday was by visibility day. And even though it's the day after, I have yet to go back to being invisible because newsflash, we're always here. Like nationwide they're always by your side <laughs> that the buys they're just always here exactly Hayes. that is the direct comparison i was looking for <laughs> <laughs> oh i'm really glad that we've got this time carved out to talk about this though because like you said it, it's not just the one day that bisexuals exist they're here yes yes they're queer and get used to it <laughs> <laughs> okay so Today, I thought it would be nice to revisit an article I collaborated on with an illustrator at BuzzFeed back in 2016, where I wrote a list of things that you shouldn't say to buy people. And I'd like to bring a few of those out for the listeners. Casey, be my absolute guest. (laughs) (laughs) Number one, bisexual people don't exist. (laughs) Okay, well, Hayes, uh, uh, I do exist. (laughs) But yeah, unfortunately, a lot of people assume bisexuals haven't made up their mind yet. They assume women are straight but experimenting or that men are gay but are too afraid to say that they are. Not true. (laughs) Moving on. Number two, you're being greedy. Why? No, that literally doesn't even make sense. That doesn't make sense. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, number three, Wait, you're dating a guy now? Does that mean you don't like women anymore? Um, well, no, that's actually not how sexuality works. Uh, I'm always 100% bi, but thanks for asking, man. (laughs) 
thanks for checking in. I'm sure that that was just concern for my well-being and not just you being weird and prejudiced. Thank you. <laughs> no, these are all great, Casey. I, it's a shame that, you know, four years later that we, they are all still very much a thing. I mean, we've come a long way since uh, I still have bookmarked this Newsweek article about bisexuals, this weird new trend that has popped up that's from like 1992 or something. And it's it's a fascinating time capsule, but we haven't really come all that far. <laughs> No, we definitely have not, but um, we'll be here being invisible or not invisible every day. <laughs> so, listeners, in conclusion of Bi Visibility Day, which I would like to make a formal case for being every day. Second. <laughs> Thank you, Hayes. <laughs> we want to take a second to have a salute to some of our favorite bi icons or bi cons from across history, real and fictional. Hayes, would you do the honors? My absolute pleasure and delight, Casey. <clears throat> so, I would like to give a shout out to the following. Alan Cumming, Alexander the Great, Stephanie Beatrice, Eleanor from The Good Place, and Cora of the animated series, The Legend of Cora. <laughs> oh, wow. Truly excellent choices, Hayes. Excellent. I, I felt they represented a range. <laughs> they were a range of bisexuals. <laughs> a spectrum, if, as it were. <laughs> And may we end this glorious segment with a quote from Bob Belcher of Bob's Burgers, who maybe definitely has something going on with the deli guy at the grocery store. Here's a quote from him. I'm straight. I mean, I'm mostly straight and I'm married. But if I wasn't, oh, who am I kidding? You're out of my league. All right, that's it for today. Join us tomorrow to wrap up the week with, I'm sure, something completely non-depressing and or terrible. <laughs> and this is my official request for people to DM me about their favorite bi characters, because honestly, that's all I ever want to talk about. Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. Peacock streaming new movies every week at PeacockTV.com. We'll have the biggest movies from the Twilight Saga to Selma and Bad Boys 1 and 2. Bad Boys for life. All your favorite movies like Die Hard, The Matrix Trilogy, and Good Will Hunting. That's the good stuff. Plus, movies the whole family will love. How to Train Your Dragon, the Harry Potter film series. Brilliant. And Shrek 1 and 2. It's so good to be home. With tons of blockbuster hits you can't not watch. Sign up at PeacockTV.com. Give us your attention, we need everything you got fast Waiting on reparations, we be the endless podcast Tune in every Thursday, politics and wordplay We fight for the people cause they got us in the worst way From the hill to Brazil, Bombay to Kanye From the left enclave to what the neocons say Every Thursday, cop the heady conversation And, and break us off with some bread cause we waiting, waiting on, on reparations. reparations Listen to Waiting on Reparations on the iHeartRadio app Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts I'm John Gonzalez, the host of SI's new podcast, Sports Illustrated Weekly. Sports Illustrated has delivered some of the best storytelling in sports for 70 years. And now that continues on our show. Each week, we'll dive deep into the best stories from around the sports world. Sports Illustrated Weekly is available every Wednesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe now.